Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. In chapter 3 of 2 Samuel, we read about really the commander of Saul's army switching sides. But it doesn't end well. We begin. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His first was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel, and his second Kiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel, and the third Absalom, the son of Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, and the fourth Adonijah, the son of Hagith, and the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitel, and the sixth, Ithrin, of Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aya. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman? Do not God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what Yahweh has sworn to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word, because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you, to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Baharim. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then bring it about, for Yahweh has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with twenty men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all your heart desires. So David sent Abner away and he went in peace. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? 
Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away so that he is gone? You know that Abner the son of Ner came to deceive you and to know your going out and your coming in and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sarah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach, so that he died, for the blood of Azahel his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before Yahweh, for the blood of Abner the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge, or who is leprous, or who holds a spindle, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner, because he had put their brother Azahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept, and the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered. As one falls before the wicked, you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day, but David swore, saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything else till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. Yahweh repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Battle has already existed between Saul and David. And that battle is what's going to lead into what happens in this particular chapter. It was Joab's brother, Azahel, that was killed in the Battle of Gibeon by Abner. And so even with Abner switching sides here, Joab is so colored by that past event. He is holding a grudge in his heart. He is seeking revenge. He's seeking vengeance. And he is not forgiven. Um, and it it completely changes how he responds in this moment. He takes somebody his king has come to trust, and he kills him. Now, in verse 1, God's favor is active among the house of David, but it has left the house of Saul. This happened at the end of the book of 1 Samuel. Really, throughout 1 Samuel, as God was removing his favor from Saul and had anointed David in his place. And it also says a long war between the houses, which foreshadows really what's going to happen a couple of generations from now as David's son Solomon has a son named Rehoboam who takes over the kingdom. The kingdom is divided, and they're at war with each other almost constantly for the next several hundred years. So most of the history of God's people, the holy nation of Israel, or Israel and Judah, depending on your point in history, most of that time, God's people were at war amongst themselves. 
that doesn't speak very highly for really what you would call at that time the church. But that is our sin within us. In the second paragraph here, verses 2 to 5, probably the thing that jumps out more than the names of the boys would be the fact that David has six wives. And this doesn't count who you see in the next couple of verses, uh, Michal coming up and being, really she was his first wife, but in this case she makes the number seven, and that's only the ones that are named. It's assuming there aren't others. Sons that were born to David at Hebron, and remember from chapter 2 that he had reigned in Hebron for seven and a half years. So more children will be born. We know that uh, to David later on, because we still haven't had Bathsheba, uh, who gives birth to Solomon, who would be the future king. So the Bible never condemns polygamy. It's worth saying that, and culturally, I I don't think we're far removed from our culture being a polygamist society. Um, Polyamory is more the direction they're going, which means multiple loves. But in the context of scripture and the conversations that are probably coming with our culture, we need to study this topic and be willing to interact with it. So your choice, if you want to do that with your children, um, the, the word of God, again, does not condemn polygamy. However, it's always negative. You never see an example of scripture in scripture of a man having more than one wife and it going well. There's always conflict from it. There's always problems going on. And that's no different with King David and the Old Testament than any other. That's one thing. The, the practical matter that I would speak of as a man myself and a, as a husband myself is it's really difficult to be a faithful husband to fulfill that vocation to care for my wife above myself as I wrestle with my own sinful nature. If I struggle to care well for one, all the more so would I struggle if there were more. If I had more than one wife, it would be pretty much impossible to care for for my bride the way that the scriptures talk about caring for my bride. Ephesians 5 could be a good place to look if you're curious how the scriptures instruct a, a man to care for his wife. Now, there are three sons out of these six, Amnon, Absalom, and Adonijah, who we will see again as we move through the, the book. So keep those names in mind. Now, as we get to verse 6 and, and onward, Abner had been the commander of Saul's army, high in Saul's house, and he gets falsely accused by the, the, the new king, the son of Saul, Ishbosheth, of having taken his taken Saul's concubine for himself. And <laughs> gets outraged by it, so much so that he abandons Ishbosheth and turns into his enemy. He sides with David instead. A couple of things to note about this set, this whole thing. Verse 8, Abner said that he had had steadfast love to the house of Saul. That phrase is usually used by God. God is the one who has steadfast love for his people. So interesting to see it used here as well. And then also, 
would be the idea in verse 9 that Abner, as he uh, is, is speaking there, it says that he knows Yahweh has sworn to give the land over to David. If that's the case, why was he on Ishbosheth's side to begin with? If he knew Yahweh's hand was against Ishbosheth, he should not have stood beside him. That's just reasonable common sense. So it's a curiosity, uh, verse 9, to say the least, what Abner's speaking. We see both Abner and David in this chapter uh, make a swear. Uh, by the Lord. So it's verse 9 for Abner, and it was verse 35 for David. And those are similar to what we have seen in previous chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. Just as an observation. A couple of questions to be looking at with our children in this one. As you get down into the middle of the section of the chapter, we read that Yahweh has promised David, by the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistine, from the hand of all their enemies. By which son of David did God promise he would save his people? That's a question for your kids. And it connects back to what we were talking about recently with Bethlehem, the descendant of David who would come from Bethlehem. The New Testament promise as the angel comes and, and is speaking to Joseph and to Mary and tells them to name the child Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. It's a good connection to make. Abner used his influence over the people of Israel to begin bringing them to David. And there was a covenant even made between David and Abner. That's the, the highest binding kind of contract you can imagine. Made in blood, broken, would require blood shed. And we broke the covenant with God, thus our death for our sins. However, Jesus takes that death for us. Talking about covenants can, can be a wonderful conversation. Now, we already talked about Joab assuming the worst here of, of Abner. Um, and so instead of believing Abner at his word, as David did, as his king did, Joab assumes that Abner is a spy. And instead plots to kill him. So you have the... For Joab, it's a murder committed in revenge. Abner killed his brother Azahel. But very different situations. For Abner and Azahel, Abner killed Azahel in the midst of a battle between the houses of David and Saul. Joab kills Abner standing in the city gate where all the official business of the city is conducted. They're standing there and he's deceived him and he stabs him in the stomach. Very different pictures. And David picks up on that in his mourning uh, verses 33 to 35 or 4. He's not been executed as a criminal. He has been killed wrongly by a wicked man. Now, a couple of words uh, that you might not have, your children may not know from this text, that just, we don't use them often in English. A cistern is another word for basically a well uh, dug in the ground. So Abner was staying there uh, at that place, and that's where Joab found him. That's verse 26. Down in verse 31, beer, uh, not the stuff that you drink. This is a, uh, basically it's a funeral 
object. It's the, the platform, the framework on which they carry the, the deceased. So David followed, essentially, it's a funeral procession that you have going on there. Verse 36, everything that David did pleased the people. That's quite a statement of high praise. Um, we should probably take it to be more of a reference to in that day, uh, because there are things coming that David will do that won't please the people. Um, we're going to see soon he, he, him do something that doesn't please his wife, Michal. We're going to see him do something that that puts him in terrible standing before the Lord. Um, so those things are coming. The last note on this chapter is the last verse. So you have in verse 39, the sons of Zariah. That would be the reference to the three boys, Joab, Abishai, and Azahel. Azahel's deceased at this point. So Joab and Abishai are the, the reference of that phrase. Um, that they are the, the severe ones. But the last sentence, Yahweh repay the evildoer. For David, that's a constant theme. It has been since Saul, the Lord's anointed in the first book, and it is again now here. And really, truly, that's the theme of Scripture as well. We learn that in several places, including in the book of Romans in the New Testament, that it is not ours to enact revenge. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. So David sees that. 